Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I am your host, Annie F. Downs, and I hope you are enjoying January. I am really loving this start of this new series as kind of having some of these rhythms and rituals that we are bringing into our lives. A few months ago, I began one day talking on my Instagram story about Sabbath and about how I've chosen to take a day out of my week to kind of rest and and to rest in worship. And really everything just about that I have learned about Sabbath, or at least the person who has directed me to teaching and taught me the most is John Mark Comer. We had John Mark on the podcast about a year ago talking about his most recent book, God Has a Name, that I absolutely loved and cannot recommend high enough. It's just an incredible read. But John Mark is really an expert on the practice of Sabbath. I don't know that he would say he's an expert at Sabbath, but he really is one of the most educated men that I know on the topic of Sabbath. And so when I posted on the Instagram story and you guys kind of asked a bunch of questions back, I thought, yeah, this is one of the rhythms we need to talk about on the podcast. So I buzzed John Mark. I said, hey, would you come back on the podcast? Can I gather some questions? Would you mind answering them? And I think y'all are really going to enjoy this conversation with John Mark Comer. All right, friends, here we are. John Mark, thanks for being on the podcast again. We love when you are on here. Oh, you're welcome. It's such a joy to hang out. I know. I love it. Here's what I say almost every week, that I only have my friends on and people who I'm a super fan of that I make be my friend. And you're the example that I always get. Oh, that's terrifying. (laughs) One of these days, we need to actually sit down for a cup of coffee like in person. I know. I know. I need to get out to Portland anyway because I don't get to come out very much and I love it. Yes. Okay. Yes, but we're about five months away from sunshine, so maybe yeah, schedule I'll a wait. Trip yeah, I have May. May's kind of quiet currently, so maybe I can work it out for May or two. <laughs> okay, so let me tell you. A couple of weeks ago, the reason I contacted you, this podcast is coming out in January, the second week of January, because kind of what we're doing this month is going through some rhythms that we could adopt into our life in 2018 that could make for a different year. And so we're going through a couple of different rhythms. Last week we talked about journaling and the power of just writing down little things every day. And this week we're talking about Sabbath. We're going to talk about worship. We're going to talk about work-life balance. We're going to talk about Lent. So we're kind of going all sorts of different directions. But a few weeks ago, I posted on my Instagram about my Sabbath day. And I just kind of listed, here's the things I am doing and here are the things I'm not doing. And so much of my Sabbath behavior has come from being in Jerusalem, your book, Garden City, and your teachings on Sabbath. And so you kind of are what catapulted me into practicing it. And that that's kind of my first thing is I want people to know it's a practice, meaning you're not going to get it right all the time. It's not something, there aren't these rules that you have to follow and get right, correct? Do you feel that way about it? Yeah, it is a practice in that, you know, it's a skill set that you have to master, just like playing the piano or learning French. It takes years. But at the same time, it's the exact opposite of a rule. It's a life-giving way to open up your whole life, your mind and your body to the Holy Spirit. So like all the spiritual discipline, if you think of it as a rule, you miss the entire point. It is a means to an end. And the means matter, like how we do things matters a ton. I mean, I love your idea on rituals because, you know, what's the saying? How you spend your time is how you spend your life. And the older I get, the more I get into both the way of Jesus and just emotional health and psychological health, the more I'm realizing that a well-lived life comes down not to the major choices that we make, but to the minor ones, such as morning routine, relationship to our phone, Netflix, what we do on the weekend, basically our habits and how we spend our time. So I just can't affirm what you're getting at enough. I think it's the minor decisions that over time have a cumulative effect that I think shape our life even more than the major decisions do often. And it seems like, and this isn't true, but it seems like Sabbath is kind of having its like day in the sun, you know? Like it seems like the thing that people in Christian church are talking about, but obviously it's been around literally since the first week. Yeah, (laughs) it's not a new idea. It's a lost spiritual discipline in the Western church. And I think, you know, the world right now is suffocating under the weight of the digital age, materialism, urbanization, the breakdown of the family. There's so many things that have just sped up our world to this frenetic, hurried pace, and we're losing our soul. And so I think there's, whether it's, you know, the church talking about Sabbath again, or outside of the church, meditation and yoga and mindfulness, like people are just gasping for air right now. 
emotionally as well as spiritually. And Sabbath is a beautiful kind of cross section between our emotional health and our spiritual life. Yeah. And that's such a brilliant comparison to remind people that it is not just the church who is looking for this rest. It is humans looking for this rest. And the church has an age old response. Absolutely. We have an age-old practice, but yet it's more than just the practice. So Pico Ayer, who did a TED Talk on the art of stillness, has a famous little book where he argues for what he calls a secular Sabbath. And it's lovely, and I, I really appreciate it, and his short little book's worth reading. But at the end of the day, there's a restfulness that comes for a follower of Jesus that is deeper than just the practice of a 24-hour thing where you don't work, that is rooted in um, the rest that we have in Christ in the language of the New Testament, the fact that all is done, that our identity is rooted and secure in Christ and so many other things, not in our worth, our performance, our net worth, what other people think of us, how many people listen to our podcast, you know, whatever it is. And that is something that goes beyond the practice itself to what the practice opens us up to. Yeah, because what we do with the rituals that have been ancient today affect where the church goes in the future. Is that kind of around what you're saying too? Yeah. Oh, 110%. And, and frankly, whether or not there is a church in the future. And, you know, I'm sitting here in the West End of downtown Portland, Oregon, which is, you know, at a statistical level, as well as a spiritual level, one of the most secular, progressive, you know, um, unchurched cities in our nation. And I'm telling you, after living here for a long time and leading a church for a long time, I think that an even greater threat to the future of the church than secularism and the progressive agenda is honestly just the distraction and the busyness and the materialism of our culture. And you can be in like thick of Bible Belt, rural Texas, where you don't have the progressive secular urban thing, and you're still dealing with those issues of distraction from your phone, the website, money and too much of it, the materialism that comes with it, and just the busyness of life in the modern world. So, you know, I think it's it's a pretty serious question. It's not just about the future of the church, but it's, I think, even deeper, is there a future of the church? And it's hard to imagine much of a future if followers of Jesus in the Western world don't set aside a day a week to recenter on Jesus and on what really matters and to like restore their soul through companionship with Jesus, their community, and their own self, you know? That sounds kind of alarmist, but I do think a lot is at stake here. No, I totally agree with you. I think you're exactly right. You know, it's hard for people, I think, our age, Annie, to realize yeah. how new the um, cultural amnesia around Sabbath is. You have to remember, like, even as recently as my – so my dad, um, I'm from the Bay Area of California. My dad grew up in San Jose, which is now, you know, home to all that is Silicon Valley in the 50s and 60s. And he still tells stories about what life in the Bay Area was like back then when he was a kid, where everything was shut down on Sunday except for the church. And by everything, it everything. So he has this profound memory of when 7-Eleven first opened. And I had to go look it up. I think it was like, I forget off the top of my head. I think it was 1967 or 69 or something like that. And it was this huge deal because 7-Eleven, it was open seven days a week till 11 p.m. at night. This was unheard of at the time. And it was like, you could go get a soda or a Slurpee if they had Slurpees in the 60s, whatever. But I just, I mean, can you imagine Silicon Valley now on a Sunday with absolutely nothing to do? No Uber to take you anywhere, no brunch to go out and buy. No Starbucks open. Like there was nothing except church and like your front yard. I mean, and now we, we even... still like panic at the idea that everything's going to close on Christmas. I know, I know, I know. But can you imagine? I mean, even think about the f Christmas is a great analogy, although it's even encroaching on that because, you know, coffee shops and such are open. But can you imagine like that feeling that you get once a year on Christmas? when everything is closed and shut down. Can you imagine if that was once a week and not once a year and you didn't have 50 people to hang out with in your living room? It was just, you know, that was one generation ago. That was my dad's childhood. So I just think yep, we don't same. even realize how our cultural amnesia is such that I don't think we realize how recent this is and how, how much is at stake. Yes, and how what could happen in one more generation. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I remember some things being closed. You know, we are the same grade, but I don't remember everything being closed. But I remember some things being closed. Do you remember some things being closed on Sundays when you were little? Yeah, I think so. I'd have to, I'd have to sit around and think about it. For sure. I mean, I grew up in the church, so Sunday was kind of always church day. Right. But 
Okay, so that's a great place for us to start because what I did is when I posted about my Sabbath day a couple of weeks ago, tons of responses came in like, wait, how do you and why do you? And I was like, "Ah, I got to call John Mark. (laughs) So because I think you have a better, fuller understanding of it. And I'm I'm a newer practicer of Sabbath. And so I just have a list of a hand. Yeah, but you'll have a great vantage point that I don't. So we can kind of tag tag team. team. Yeah, okay, I'm into that. So I have these this list of questions people have sent me just kind of around the practice of Sabbath as people are trying to adopt it. So will you kind of start with, because I do want you to talk about church families, because we have a ton of responses that came in that went like, hey, our family works in the church, goes to church, serves at church. My husband has Fridays off. I don't. That kind of thing. So start there. Start with what a church family can do to observe Sabbath. And does it always need to be together or can they, can two parents observe Sabbath separately? Okay, the first thing I would say, not to get nitnoity, but is, you know, the second that people start asking can or can't questions, it's an exercise in missing the point. Oh, come on. This is not a rule. It is a practice or a discipline. And the question is just how much life do you want? You know, we can debate about whether or not the fourth commandment, uh, which is to, you know, honor the Sabbath day or to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, whether or not that is still valid post Jesus' death, round and resurrection. And frankly, scholars are divided, and that would take 20 minutes to even explain both sides. Frankly, there is a great biblical case for either view. One view basically says the Ten Commandments, it's still a thing. The other says, no, it's been abrogated and we have rest in Christ or whatever. Either way, though, like whoever is right about that biblical command side it still stands as wisdom. Sabbath is rooted in Genesis chapter two, not in the Torah or in Levitical you know, stuff. It's rooted in the way that God set up the world. On six days, God created the heavens and the earth. The seventh, he rested and then he blessed it and he called it holy. And this whole, like he set up this rhythm into the fabric of creation. So when people get into the rules and the regulations around it, you know, what day does it have to be? And exactly when do you start at night or in the morning or what can I do in different days? You have to make sure that your heart posture isn't radically missing the point. The point is you were created by God, a creator who works in this rhythm of six days of work and one day of rest. And if you want to thrive and flourish as a human being, then you as the creation made in the image of your creator need to adopt that rhythm of a six day work week and a one day for rest and for worship and all sorts of freedom about how you work that out for your gender and personality, introvert, extrovert, and stage of life, single family, empty nester, little kids, older kids, um, socioeconomic status. Do you live in a city or on a rural farm? Do you live in America or in rural India? Like there's so much freedom to figure out how to practice this life-giving art form for your time and your place and your personhood. So all that to say, um, as far as, you know, ministry families or whatever you want to call it, church leadership families. It depends. I would have to ask questions. You know, is your Sunday like a marathon work day? Do you have, you know, is it a mega church and you have four gatherings through the day? Or is it a smaller church and you have one gathering and it's more laid back and relaxing? What's the day like for you emotionally? Is it a life-giving, fun day of worship for you with your community? Or is it more draining and you are responsible for a lot of stuff and you have a lot of details and, you know, you're on your phone and you're running a band or whatever it is. So um, if, you know, the answer is, man, it's just Sunday is a great day, but it's really tiring, which is what it is for me. Our church is not a mega church, but it's large enough. We have three gatherings on a Sunday. I don't get home. You know, I, I start around six in the morning and don't get home until about 10 o'clock at night with about an hour break in the middle, you know? So for me, it's just too much work to call it a Sabbath. If it was a small church and we just had one service in the morning, I think I would just make Sunday my Sabbath. Sunday is a phenomenal day. I mean, ideally, if you can Sabbath on Sunday, then you can tie your day of rest of worship into that of your community, and you can tie in a worship gathering. It was like the perfect storm of those three things all at the same time. So that's ideal, but it just frankly doesn't work for me. So um, I uh, honor you know Sunday as our day of worship, and as most people in our churches Sabbath. But for my family, we Sabbath um, on Friday night to Saturday afternoon. I do have Fridays off, um, and we, my wife and I used to Sabbath on Fridays. She got it off as well. But uh, now that our kids are older, we can't do that anymore because they're in school. And you want them with you to participate is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. we want them with us. We want to raise them in the practice of Sabbath. We want them to love it and enjoy it as they have since they were born. So we Sabbath Friday evening to Saturday afternoon, and that works phenomenal for us. 
The only bummer is, you know, any kind of Saturday sports things or anything like that that throw a monkey wrench or if you're in a season of life where there's a, a wedding every other weekend in the summer or birthday parties or whatever. But on the flip side, we're pretty ruthless about saying no. And, you know, I don't know if that's a, a good thing or a bad thing. You have to, I'm sure all sorts of people would have opinions, but, and we feel just fine saying, I'm sorry, we can't because we Sabbath then, you know, like there are certain excuses that like anybody can drop and nobody argues with in our right, culture. Right. So like the two main ones are work and children. You know what I mean? So if you're like, hey, I need you to come to this thing. All you have to say is, I'm sorry, I have work. I have a meeting for work. Like nobody will argue with that. Or if you have a child, like even remotely under the age of, I don't know, seven or whatever, all you have to say is, sorry, child, you know? Right. And it's like a get out of jail free <laughs> card. Whether or not that is a legitimate excuse is a whole separate podcast. Right, right. But um, <laughs> my point is, it is a culturally accepted excuse for better or for worse. So Sabbath is not. And I'm just, I'm advocating for it as a culturally accepted excuse. So I'm just going to start my one man war on that. So basically I just will graciously and lovingly say whenever possible, I'm so sorry, but we can't make that event because our family is practicing Sabbath. And I'll just try to say it is nice and non-snobbish. And most people have no idea what I'm even talking about. <laughs> Especially in Portland, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Compared I mean, that's the most, most Christians don't even know what Sabbath is, much less practice it with any kind of regularity or life-giving passion. Right. You know. Okay, so what is Sabbath a rest from? Well, put simply, it's a rest from work, but obviously work is a broad, wide-reaching, and semi-ambiguous term. You know, Heschel would say we even rest from the thought of work. The Jewish community, which has spent millennia now writing on this practice, which has been core not only to their identity, but to their preservation as an ethnicity down through human history. In fact, many people think the reason that there still is a Jewish people is due in large part to this practice because it was really so, well, yeah, because I mean, the Jewish people are, are a miracle. I mean, just how, how do people survive as an ethnic group with no nation for a millennia and a half with no land? I mean, that's set aside all of the controversy around Israel and Palestine, that's a miracle. And, you know, a, a, a strong case can be made that it's in large part due to two factors, in addition to, you know, religion and the Bible and all of that, to the practice of Sabbath. And because their practice of Sabbath required them not to travel more than, you know, generally a quarter mile on Sabbath day, it meant that they all had to live in the same neighborhood because they had to live within walking distance of the synagogue. And so you can imagine for two millennia now, you had a whole community of people that decided we need to live in the same neighborhood so that we can walk and all be together one day a week. And that's a powerful, formative practice yeah. for God and faith and you know what I mean? And so somehow that practice and living in proximity and community um, in large part, I'm, I'm no expert on you know, Jewish history, but it seems as if they at least played a large role in the preservation of an entire ethnic group, you know? So, I mean, all that to say, Sabbath is a day for rest and worship. And it's more what it's about and, than what it's not about. It's for rest and it's for worship. And so that means it's not for work. And that's not just um, our job. We have to remember that work is more than just what we get paid for. I do all sorts of work that I don't get a penny for. I cleaned the kitchen and I made dinner last night and I helped my boy with his homework and I cleaned some stuff up this morning. I don't get paid for any of that, but that's all that's work, work and yeah. laundry. What did you make for dinner, John Mark? We made tacos, <laughs> some vegetarian tacos. There you go. Okay. It's quite good. Yeah. What's the meat of a vegetarian taco? It's just vegetables. Oh, just pure There's vegetables. No Not yeah. like tofu or something of oh, that nature. Oh, no, that stuff's terrible for you. Okay. None of that. Okay. Yeah, like none of the fake meat stuff. If you're not going to eat meat, just, just don't, don't eat, eat meat. Okay. Or if you want to eat meat, just go kill an animal. That's right. And eat okay. It. Okay. Make, Vegetarian make up your mind. taco. Yeah, make a choice. Don't use fake stuff. I got you. None of this tofu stuff. Come <laughs> okay, on. Okay, good. All right. So that all includes work too. Yeah, you and I have maybe even talked about this, but one of the things that I don't do is I don't empty the dishwasher because that feels like so much work for me on Sabbath. Oh, yeah. You should see, we try not to do dishes on Sabbath. And so by the end of the day, because we also cook a lot and eat a lot and hang out at home. So by the, we have this huge sink that by the end of the night is just like piled yeah, sure. uh, with dirty dishes. Oh, it's the best. And it's fine. Right. That's I mean, that's what people need to hear is it is 
totally fine. So many responses to me came back and like of people asking questions or saying, what do you do when life feels crazy? What do you do when it's too busy? And, and if I take a day off for Sabbath, how does everything else get done? Yeah. Well, I mean, you have a couple of things there. One, you just have to talk about productivity. So all sorts of, you know, statistical evidence is out there now and you can Google it and find it pretty easy about how productivity just plummets past a certain number of hours per week. So for example, an employee working 60, I forget the exact number, don't quote me, but 65-ish hours a week is um, no less productive than an employee working 85 hours a week. So like think about 20 hours, it's like a part-time job. But you reach a certain point where you're just no longer nearly as productive. And, um, you know, this is when you go on Facebook. That's what everybody should know. The moment where you can't work anymore and you check Facebook, that's that limit. Say you're working, but really you're just following links to BuzzFeed articles. Thank you. Taking quizzes. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, I honestly, I think the productivity argument um, on one hand is doomed to fail because I think that when I set aside a day for rest and worship, I am far more productive during the week. Now, again, that's not why I do it, but I think it's a beautiful byproduct. And you also have to measure your life um, over the course of your life, not just over the course of your week. So I just read a fascinating study where a doctor did an analysis of some statistical research around communities that practice Sabbath. And so on average, if you Sabbath, you know, one day a week for a 24-hour time period, and you do that math over a lifetime, that's a lot of time. So it's something around 10 years of your life are spent Sabbathing if you live the kind of average American lifespan. And uh, it was really interesting. This doctor analyzed, um, it was a small sample survey, so it's hard to, you know, sample size, hard to get an accurate read, but it was a group of Seventh-day Adventists and I believe some ultra-Orthodox Jews. And they found that on average, they lived 11 years longer than the average American. No way. Yeah. Now, of course, you know, cause and effect. Approximately their entire Sabbath life. Yes. Cause and effect is, you know, tricky to navigate all of that. And there's other factors, community and, you know, Seventh-day Adventists or vegetarians and all that stuff. But let's just talk about the number for a minute. It's pretty much the exact same number. So I honestly think that if you practice Sabbath, there's potential statistical evidence that for each day you rest, you're actually going to live a day longer and um, you will get all of that time back, both in quantity and then with interest when it comes to quality. So all that to say, I just think on one hand, the productivity argument breaks down. I think if you do practice Sabbath, you will be far more productive during the week. It will force you to get off YouTube and stop following BuzzFeed articles and actually get your work done and be, you have to work smarter, not harder, and definitely not longer. And as a guy who's pastoring a church, writing books, and trying to raise a family with three little kids, I can no longer work. 70 hours a week anymore. I can't because I have too much responsibility with my family and too high of a value for emotional health and for my discipleship to Jesus. So I have to limit my hours down to 45 hours a week. And so that means I have to work really smart, not necessarily harder, but smarter and definitely not longer. So I think the productivity argument breaks down. Secondly, though, I would say at some level, I get that. And that in all, like this is not nobody wants to hear but at some level, if you're too busy to practice Sabbath, then you're just too busy. Yes. Say that. Come on. You know, and so the reality is most of us are just trying to do way too much with too little time. So a lot can be saved by resting and, you know, sharpening the axe, as Abe said, and working smarter and eliminating distraction and getting off your phone and stopping random web searches and, you know, like productivity and check email once a day. And like there's all sorts of tricks to like do more with less time. But at the end of the day, you still have to start ruthlessly eliminating things out of your life in order to make room, not just for Sabbath, but for emotional health and just for all the practices of Jesus. So when people tell me they're too busy to go to church or too busy to live in community and share a meal with people each week or too busy to read their Bible and pray in the morning. And I just want to graciously say, first off, most people actually aren't too busy. The average American watches five hours of TV. The average millennials on their phone five and a half hours a day. So, you know, just get off Netflix a right, little bit. You right. have the time. And that isn't rest. That's the problem. Everyone thinks yeah, that, I mean, that most is of us rest. Blow 20, 30 hours a week, you know? So I will usually graciously say, you're not actually too busy. The problem is you're probably just wasting a lot of time on trivial things. It's like, that's the blunt version. But the reality is if you actually are too busy and you're not on Netflix all the time and you're dinking around on your phone, you're like, you're working until 10 o'clock at night as your job as a lawyer or whatever it is, then I just would want to gently say, then you're too busy 
to live an emotionally healthy and spiritually rich life. And that's not what any of us want to hear. But I do think how you spend your time is how you spend your life. And at some point, if you want to experience the life that Jesus has on offer and you want to become the best version of yourself, you have to slow down and you have to take time to rest and to enjoy Jesus' company. Yeah. And I think you using the word ruthless is really painful and really good. Right. Like being like, you're not going to like everything you have to cut out. This isn't going to be like, man, that feels so much better with that gone. You know, I mean, it will for some things, but there are decisions you're going to have to make that will not feel comfortable at the start. But it is that chipping away of that in the long run will make for the better life you want. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And yeah, it's all worth it in the end. My, my next book, which I don't, I don't want to talk about much, but is on this in particular, it's on hurry. And I, I built this whole book around the story that John Orberg, you know, John, he's a, yeah. I'm just been getting to know him recently. I've been reading his stuff for years and I'm actually going to have lunch with him in just a few days. And he's just, I think, one of, if not my favorite pastors of the generation before me, and just as a thinker and teacher and writer. And he was a mentee of Dallas Willard, who's a Christian philosopher that has shaped my life kind of more than anybody else in the last century. And um, they were mentee kind of mentor for 20 years. And John told me the story about how, I think this was in the late 90s, when Ortberg was the teaching pastor at Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, which at the time was really, you know, the most influential church in the Western world. Right. By and the only state. big, big, big one probably, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, he was the teaching pastor there working with Bill Hybels. And he was just kind of getting sucked into the, you know, just the insanity and unhealth at times of megachurch culture and busyness and, you know, raising a family and all of that in the city. And so he calls up Willard out in California and, you know, I'm paraphrasing his language, but basically says, all right, how do I, how do I do this? You know what I mean? Cause it's like not working. I feel stuck and you know, whatever his language was. And he said, there was a long pause on the other end of the line because, you know, he said with Willard, there was pretty much always a long pause. And then Willard just said these two things. He said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Yeah, that's really good. And, you know, so Orberg, you know, scribbled it down on his pad and as was like before Twitter or the internet would have broken or something. And, um, and then he asked, okay, so what else? And they said, there's another long pause. And then Willard said, there is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And uh, honestly, I heard that story about three years ago, and that's basically what I've spent the last three years of my life working on in my own discipleship, is just the art of slowing down. And man, is it hard in our culture and with a family and a church and a phone. It is so dang hard, but the, the longer I do it, and even as that's really hard, the more I really think he was onto something. Very few of us you know, we were asked what the greatest challenge in the Western world is, would say hurry. But the longer I'm at it, the more I think, yeah, I mean, it's hurry, it's busyness, it's lack of rest, it's lack of margin, it's distraction. Like, I honestly think this is the greatest challenge we face. So all that to say, you take a 24-hour time period each week, turn off your phone, don't like go out and shop, and like just rest. That will change your life. It will change your church. It will change the world. All right, friends, just interrupting for just a second to tell you about a couple of things that I really love. For starters, Samaritan's Ministries. At Samaritan Ministries, believers in Jesus are committing to sending financial gifts every month directly to an assigned member with a medical need. But there's more involved than just money and mere physical healing when there is a need. Samaritan members pray for one another and for all aspects of the members' needs and encourage one another by sending notes and cards. And every month, more than 70,000 households give generously to other members with a qualified medical need through Samaritan Ministries International. You can go to their website at SamaritanMinistries.org. They're one of the leading healthcare sharing ministries in America. And it's actually what I use as my healthcare as well. So healthcare sharing is a unique opportunity for members to be the hands and feet of Jesus for each other. And it's a direct sharing model that's a biblical approach to paying for healthcare. So currently, Samaritan members give a monthly share starting at $100, depending on age and household size. And Samaritan Ministries members have never shared more than $495 a month for a family of any size. 
You can learn more by visiting SamaritanMinistries.org. Thousands of Christians are joining the movement that allows them to care for one another for their health care, sharing needs from broken bones to cancer, pregnancies to organ transplants. Nearly a quarter of a million Christians have chosen a health care option that adheres to their biblical beliefs and brings together believers and community. So make sure you check out SamaritanMinistries.org. Also, I'm excited to tell you guys about Daily Harvest. We've all seen a mouth-watering smoothie or acai bowl on Instagram and thought, that is the kind of thing I should be eating, but who has time to make that every day? Wouldn't it be great if you could just get those picture-perfect nutrients without having to hit the farmer's market and chop up a million fruits and veggies? And now you can get all your superfoods super fast with Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest sends superfood straight to your door with your choice of smoothies, activated breakfast bowls, or nice cream vegan sundaes. You guys, I've been trying all of these in the last few weeks. I got a box at my house and it is so delicious. I'm like loving them. So each single serving cup comes ready to blend or to heat and the cups are stored in the freezer. So they're ready whenever you are. Their produce is organic and unrefined and looks as amazing as it tastes. You can actually see all the whole ingredients when you open the cup. Daily Harvest freezes all their ingredients at peak freshness, sealing in the nutritional value. Preparing each cup is insanely easy, y'all. You just add water or you can substitute for other liquids like coconut milk or almond milk. That's what I do. Either way, your Daily Harvest Cup is ready in just 30 seconds, so you can eat right right now. So go to daily-harvest.com and enter the promo code SOUNDSFUN to get three items free off your first box. That's promo code SOUNDSFUN for three free Daily Harvest Cups at daily-harvest.com. Two or three different people have said back to me, what if I don't have 24 hours? It's again, it's one of those can, can I, can't I, but what's your solution if you don't, because I don't, mine doesn't go quite 24 hours either, actually. Yeah. I mean, I would just say um, with all things related to the way of Jesus, start where you're at. So if where you're at is an hour, okay, start there. I mean, you only get 1 24th of what the potential of Sabbath has for you, but hey, 1 24th is better than nothing. If you can do four hours, great. Take a morning. If you can do a half day, fantastic. And I would just say, you know, how, I mean, how much health and life do you want? Like, just keep inching your way up. So if that means you start with four hours and then you go to a half day and then you go to a full day, but not the night, and then you go to 24 hours, you know, beautiful. Just the, the long, I mean, I can say that you get out what you put in and there's something about a 24 hour time period that you get that you do not get in like a four hour thing? Because a four hour thing, when I can do a half day, when if I can't do a full day and I do a half day, my brain always knows I still have something at two o'clock. Yeah, absolutely. You can't get to that place of rest. Um, you can't, there's an emotional cycle that a lot of us go through of kind of crashing and exhaustion and some depression even, and then like a healing and restoration and return to joy and to ease and health. And it takes me four hours just for my mind to stop worrying about crap. You know, like it just goes, goes, goes. And it takes me a while. So all that to say, that's not a guilt trip. Um, Start where you're at. If where you're at is I can do two hours every Saturday. Great. Um, Start there. That's beautiful, guilt-free. But no, that means you're way too busy. And if you want to experience life um, and even experience all that Jesus has for you, you got to inch that number up an hour at a time of whatever that is, you know? Will you talk about how y'all spend your time? Like, because people have asked, like, can I watch? Can I catch up on my shows? Can I read? Can Am I allowed to go work out? Am I allowed? Quote, quote. That's me saying that. Not No one wrote that exactly. I'm no, no, that's great. That but like. Yeah, I mean, all the wrong questions. Right. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Can I, can't, am I allowed? Like all the wrong questions with all due respect. I mean, the right questions are, um, what are rest and worship for me? and my personality and stage of life. So, you know, the, the scriptures are very um, free. It's rest and worship. And negative commands, um, such as do not work, are much more freeing than positive commands. That's why almost all the Ten Commandments are negative. And it's why the first command in the Garden of Eden was a negative command, do not eat. Because as weird as that sounds, it sounds kind of religious or fundamentalist, don't do this. Actually, don't commands are much more freeing because that means everything else is a yes. So in the garden, it was this one thing is a no, everything else is a yes. So to say don't work is actually much more freeing than saying, read your Bible for this amount of time, pray for this amount of time, da 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 go to your community, go out to brunch, da 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 take a nap, like, and scripting it out for somebody. So it's more about what you don't want to do. You don't want to work. 
And you don't want to do anything that is not um, both emotionally life-giving and in a sense spiritually enriching for you. Because Sabbath is not just for rest, it's also for worship. And we need to get that. Um, it's a day that is holy to the Lord. So it's holy. And the command is actually to keep it holy. So the question with any activity that I just run it through is this rest and is it worship? And um, for something like exercise, different people are going to answer that differently. I would answer that in the negative. I don't, working out is working. It's not rest for me. But I know some people for whom, you know, a run in the forest is so life-giving for their soul. Yeah, I, that is the very first thing I do every Sabbath is I work out because I'm without limit on time. Not like I'm so I can work out for four hours, but like I can lazily walk or I can fast. I mean, I can do whatever I want and I'm not trying to fit in a workout in 40 minutes. And so that's why it feels like rest to me is because I'm unlimited and my my schedule is not crammed. Yep. And maybe that day, instead of doing, you know, intervals and timing yourself, it's just more of a leisurely jog or something, whatever, totally, you know, totally. And then the worship side is another thing you got to think through. So with TV, I don't watch any TV on Sabbath um, for a number of reasons, I, but I don't, don't really watch TV. So, um, but you know, anything like that, I would just run it through the grid of, is this worshipful for me? And does watching this, reading this, enjoying this, doing this, do I feel more connected to God in my own soul? And for me, the reality is with TV, maybe one out of 10 things I watch, do I feel actually rested and enriched in my soul afterwards? Most of the time, I feel like I just kind of bummed time and vegged out and I'm not ready to go to sleep, yes. you know? So if, you know, binge watching The Crown or whatever is like life-giving for your soul and you feel more grateful and alive and aware of Jesus' presence when you're done, great. Um, I think for most of us, the answer is no, but I don't want to be legalistic and read that into other people. I do read novels, which for a lot of people would be lame, and they're not like Christian novels. I read novel novels on Sabbath, and that for me, uh, there's some you know books I just can't read on a Sabbath day. It doesn't connect me more to God, but others are just really life-giving and healing, and I get done, and I just instantly move to prayer and gratitude and thoughtfulness, and you know, so just find those things for you. It's going to be totally different for an introverted guy than for somebody else in another personality or stage of life. Yeah, that grid, the rest and worship that you taught me, I mean, that is the thing I say all day long on Sabbath, because being that I'm single and live alone, I don't turn my phone off because that makes me feel really disconnected. But I don't initiate texts. I just receive them and respond, right? Like I've kind of found for me that rest and worship does not feel like turning my phone off so no one can get me. It feels like not going to my phone until I want to like go get coffee with someone or go on a walk with someone. Like that's really restful and worshipful for me to be with other people's kids. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And that's a great example. The Bible does not tell you what to do with your phone on Sabbath. You right. Know what I mean? Right. Wisdom, <laughs> rest and worship. I mean, it's exactly what you said. It's the longer I've practiced it, the more. So mine are usually Tuesday night to Wednesday afternoon. And so because I've been practicing it for a two years ish, I now know how to run my Tuesday so that Wednesday doesn't feel stressful you learn how to shape the rest of your week around observing Sabbath as best you can. And it doesn't always work perfectly, but. Yeah. And it never works perfectly. And, but that's a key part of it. And how much you enjoy your Sabbath will depend a lot on how you spend the six days before, especially the actual day before. So that's what, you know, the writer John in traditional first century Jewish lingo calls it the preparation day, Friday in the Jewish calendar, the day before the Sabbath. Because it takes a while. You got to get ready for it. You got to get your stuff done. You know, in our family, that means grocery shopping and cleaning the house, running errands yep. and answering emails and finishing the homework and taking care of any scheduling issues. And if we're going to do anything on Sabbath, our phones are off. So we have to have everything planned out. Where do we meet people? When? All that kind of stuff because we don't have our phones. So honestly, the day before Sabbath is sometimes a little stressful, but it's so worth it. Because oh my gosh, I was up at 530 this morning doing laundry because I won't do it tomorrow and I need clothes for Thursday. Yeah, I mean, that's- Oh my gosh. I have to Bring do it. I have to do that. Let me ask you, Annie, in your journey into Sabbath, what has the emotional journey been like for you? Like, was it, you know, love at first sight, first, you know, Tuesday night, Wednesday was amazing, or did it take a year before you started to enjoy it, or or do you enjoy it yet? Or it's both. The first three were awesome because you don't have to work, 
right? The first three are like, this is everything I've ever wanted. Look at me not doing anything. <laughs> and like, I'm, I yeah. like to take a nap. It's one of the things I like to do. And because I like to wake up early. So I get up early and still do my normal morning reading time. And then we'll just take a nap whenever I, I kind of read until I fall asleep. And then I wake up and keep reading. It's awesome. But as the seasons changed and when my life, some life seasons for me changed, it got difficult. We're, and, and one of the rules that my assistants have is that we cannot cancel Sabbath. And the reason that they know that is so they hold me to that. Because I can quickly go, uh, you're right. If that's the only day that they can record a podcast, let's do it. Let's just cut an hour right in the middle. And then my people go, no, we will figure something else out. And it's not an hour right in the middle. That's oh, not how right. human beings work. No, because it means I have to like take a shower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> to, like, and even even having to be somewhere yes, at a certain yes. time, like even for us, we hate to even set up any kind of meetings on Sabbath with a specific time because I just don't like the stress of we have to be here at 11. If we're going to go, we don't go out much, but if we do and we're going to go have donuts with the kids or whatever, we're just going to go whenever we're all ready. It might be, it'll be sometime late morning-ish or whatever, but that might be one o'clock in the afternoon. It might be 1030, like whatever, you know, we just, there's some, there's more to it. And that's why it just, it takes so long to even let our mind and our bodies slow down. That's why the longer you give Sabbath, the more you'll enjoy it, you know? So for me, I've found that by Wednesday dinner time. I am ready to go back in. Usually after dinner on Tuesday, I turn off the TV and I get a book. Like I'm slowing, I'm, I'm exiting the world Tuesday night. And there's a little bit in my community that's adopting Sabbath. Like I have a friend who my birthday was on Friday and that's his Sabbath day. And I was like, you're such a monster. Aren't you going to say happy birthday? He was like, yeah, I'll say it on Thursday, but you won't hear from me Friday. Man, you're good. What a good modeling of doing this well. But it's my birthday, right? And so it does help that my community, some of my community has adopted it too. That's massively helpful when it becomes a new normal. And then you have to remember about, you know, seasons is when Sabbath is harder, that's usually a season when it's even more necessary. And the nice thing about Sabbath and the worst thing about Sabbath is like many of the spiritual disciplines, in particular silence and solitude and prayer, when you slow down, it will actually attune you to where your soul and your body are actually at, which is why I think so many people don't want to do it. For sure. I mean, you're talking to an Enneagram 7, bud. You know that I don't want to slow down and feel anything. Oh my gosh. Yes. You, You know. Yeah, you can preach that's the sermon hard. 10 yeah, times Yeah, that's when over. it's hard is when there's something emotional going on or spiritual going on, and I could just keep working. And you can't distract yourself and escape and go out and work and get stuff done and go out to dinner and have breakfast. Like, and when you're just there or when you're alone or you're just resting, even with, if you're with friends, like this stuff comes to the surface of your heart, and you have to deal with it. And that's the healthiest. That's how you live a good life is you let stuff come to the surface of your heart. You meet God there. You deal with it, and then you move forward. But if you don't ever do that and you're just constantly trying to use cultural narcotics, you know, to escape and numb the pain and distract and move on, man, it's only a matter of time until you crash. So there are seasons for me when, frankly, Sabbath is not that pleasant, but it's not because Sabbath is bad. It's because my life is not in a good spot. And that's when some of the deep soul work is getting done and healing and rest and repentance and reorientation. And it's just not fun. There are other seasons when Sabbath is just like so fun, but there are, you know, you need it in all seasons. That's right. I mean, just like everything, working out isn't always fun and eating right isn't always fun. And any of the disciplines that are actually making your life a better life to live in are not always fun. Yeah. Can I just say that working out is never fun? Can I just drop that I one? I mean, yes, you, know? you, can, you are welcome to feel that, but you still run, right? You still work out. I exercise five days right. a week. So it doesn't have, you never think it's fun? Not really. Well, definitely not working out. I don't I don't mind running as much. Once in a while I'll enjoy a run if I have a good podcast and I run in this forest next to downtown. But twice a week I go to the gym with a community mate and I have yet to ever enjoy <laughs> Yeah, it. you're just doing it because it's the right thing. Well it's the done. right thing to do. <laughs> well done. Some of us are 37. Amen, and brother. Listen, I feel you exactly. Um, and so when y'all's kids were really little, what does that look like when your kids are diapers and because did y'all change pace even when your kids were super tiny? Oh, yeah. I mean, you still have to do the work of parenting. And unfortunately, you know, you can't like take a day a week off 
a child. Right. You still don't get to do that, right? Y'all are still parenting all day on Sabbath. No, and now we're kind of going back into it as our kids get older. It's been, you know, a little bit more challenging too, because they, you know, rest for a middle school boy who's an extrovert is different than for me, you know? So um, they want to do more stuff. They want to see friends. Thankfully, we live in the city so they can walk to most of their friends. But children add a whole dynamic to it. And that doesn't justify not Sabbathing. It just means you have to recognize you know, it's not going to be as relaxing and therapeutic for us with three little kids as it is going to be, you know, when before we had kids or, you know, in theory, we'll be empty nesters or whatever. So, but there are just ways to do it. You find ways to make it work for that season. So you don't do any other. I mean, obviously, you're going to be caring for your kids and changing diapers and you're going to feed them. We eat, we feed ourselves, we feed them. But also just what are life-giving things you can do? When we were when our kids were little, we had like a special Sabbath toy box, which this is like a total first world thing. Sure. But um, we, you know, we have toys just for this one day. That we, the definition of privilege. But um, we'd have like a little box of toys that was just for Sabbath. Because, you know, kids are kind of like puppies, like, you know, a new toy and you just you just got 40 minutes, you know of quiet time or you can sit on the couch time and drink tea. And so we do certain things like that, or we'd often, um, we do little outings. Like we'd go to the park pretty much every Sabbath and let them run around. And then we'd walk a couple blocks to a donut shop and get them each a donut, you know, just cause sometimes they need a little, they need a little something to do cause they haven't been working for six days. So they're not as tired as you are. Um, and so, you know, it'd just be a matter. And then we do nap time was mandatory on Sabbath and, when they were really little, we'd trade off. Yeah, where, I was about to say, know, do you and Tammy, like, you get a break and then she gets a break. Is that what you're yeah. doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As far as, like, so we could have time to pray and read the Bible and kind of silence and solitude stuff. So, yeah, I'd take them for a couple hours and she'd take them for a couple hours. And that would be kind of our alone soul time, you know? So you just have to get creative. You can, if you have community, do it, you know, where you trade off and watch each other's kids every other week or one takes in the morning or afternoon. They're also just got to get creative and figure out if you have family members, you have a grandma that can come help or something, you know, or grandfather there. Just, just get creative, find ways to make it work for your season. You know, we have to, we have to learn how to receive the goodness of God in our actual life. And in the season we're in, not always be waiting for the next season and the next thing. And when my kids get older, then, and when we have a bigger apartment, then like, you just got to learn to find the goodness of God today. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so let's stay on that for a second about the idea of community, because a couple of people, my friend Shannon Martin, an incredible author, and Haley Morgan, two authors, both kind of brought up, how do you see Sabbath as an opportunity for flourishing for all people, not just resting alone, but then also, how can we make Sabbath an accessible practice, particularly for the poor? Yeah, I mean, those are really great questions that now you're asking, like, about systemic evil in our society. The gap between rich and poor, you're not just talking about a practice for you and your family and your community for emotional health and spiritual life. But actually, I do think they're tied together. Sabbath has all sorts of implications for the poor as well as for our environment. Now, this might not be exactly what people are asking, but coming at it from the angle, I'm, I'm not poor. So my um, job as a follower of Jesus in a city who has wealth by international standards and privilege by any standards Um, My job is to leverage that wealth and privilege on behalf of the poor. That's my responsibility as a follower of Jesus. Sabbath or not Sabbath. Every day you're saying that. That's how we're supposed to feel. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just making sure we're on the same page. Yeah. And honestly, I think one of the best ways to leverage my privilege toward the poor and toward the environment is through Sabbath. So the world at an environmental level, the world simply cannot support an American lifestyle. So what's the stat that for the whole world to live with the same ecological footprint as the average American would take like seven Earths or something like that. So there's a massive overconsumption in America in particular and the Western world as a whole that is having wreaking um, environmental damage, which is massively connected to the poor because most of the areas that are most affected by climate change, deforestation, environmental harm are all in the developing world. And the dry areas are getting drier, the famines are getting longer and harder, and the poor are getting poorer um, so that we can have that new bouncy house from Walmart that we don't really need, or whatever the example is. And then at an economic and socioeconomic level, one of the hallmarks of the Sabbath all through the Bible and all through Jewish tradition 
is that on the Sabbath, you don't buy or you, and you don't sell. I uh, read Amos this morning in my morning reading, and and he's lambasting the wealthy in northern Israel because they're just looking at their proverbial timepieces, waiting for the Sabbath to end so they can buy and sell grain, you know? And not buying and selling once a week has a massive effect on the environment because you're buying and selling less and therefore on the poor. We also have to remember that, you know, globalization has a dark, which is a broad word, and there are good things and bad things about globalization. But at a justice level, injustice is like the dark underbelly of globalization. So I'm, I'm kind of a critic of globalization, not for the America first reasons. Uh, I think that's much more complex and has a lot to do with automation and digital age, more for justice in the developing world. So let's just take clothing for an example. One in six human beings on the planet work somewhere in the chain in the garment industry, whether that's the farmer growing the cotton to the factory worker in Bangladesh to the H&M high school employee for minimum wage or whatever. So one in six, that's, you know, what do the math, 1.34 billion people, what, a lot of people. And most surveys put the number at less than 2% of them make a living wage. Oh, wow. So we're talking about one in six human beings on the planet who are dealing with massive injustice, if not full-on human trafficking and slavery and you know all sorts of other things, because of the fashion industry, what most of us wear. Um, the average American, you know, in the 1960s, the average American spent something like 10% of his annual budget on clothing, had just a few pieces, and 95% of them were made in America. Now we spend less than 4% of them on clothing. So clothing uh, costs have have plummeted over the last 20 years. Probably the only thing in our economy that is cheaper than it ever was. So it's, it's cheaper to buy a pair of jeans now than it was when I was a kid. And um, the average American spends way less money on them, yet we have copious amounts more and um, only 2% of them are made uh, domestically in the US. So this is a massive justice issue where it's easy to post to, you know, anti- slavery, human trafficking thing on Instagram or whatever. That's great. But you're typing into a device that was made in rural <laughs> right. China. You're wearing a, you know, a Nike sweatshirt or whatever that was made in Vietnam. And who knows where the materials were grown and the pesticides that were done and the harm it's causing to rural poor communities and the injustice done in the mill. And that, you know, I mean, there's massive injustice connected to just, and that's just one, the fashion industry is just one aspect sure. of our globalized society. And it's one of the worst ones. So all that to say, this is a long answer. And I'm, no, I'm so into it. No, I so love I'm it. Totally on my soapbox. <laughs> I that, but like I it. really care about it. I know. This. I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was doing. Don't even know about it. Yeah. <laughs> all that to say, I only have two days off a week. And one of those days, you know, I'm running errands of, if at least half of that time, I don't buy and I don't sell, I don't consume, I don't expect the poor to even work for me, even if that be at a restaurant in town or whatever, because I want to give rest to both myself and my family, even to the people that um, work for me, even if that's people I'm paying or whatever, which is the, you know, your donkey, your ox must also get rest in the Ten Commandments, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to loosely interpret that mean to the minimum wage high schooler at the donut shop down the street must also get rest or whatever. To set an entire day aside and say, you know, what? I'm going to stop, not just working, but I'm going to stop consuming, stop buying, stop selling. I'm not going to do injustice to this day. I'm not going to. I'm not going to take from the earth this day, other than gently eat its plants and enjoy its bounty. You know, that has a profound. I mean, just do the math again. One in seven days, that would right. have a profound effect on the global economy profound effect on the environment and therefore a profound effect on the poor. So all that to say, I think that one of the best things we can do to help the poor who often never get a Sabbath, Sabbath is the byproduct of wealth and privilege and of employment, is we can leverage our wealth and privilege. And one of the ways to do it is by giving, but another one of the ways is just by not consuming for a sure. day a week. That is a very good answer. Well okay. done. Soapbox over. I was no, just way I'm too so much too preachy. I love it. No, I think it's I think it's I am, I am a preacher. And so it's like I'm one of that's the right. few professions where you can kind of be preachy and it's and it's my accepted. Job. Yeah, that's right. No, I think that's a really important because there would maybe be someone who would say, Well, on Sabbath is when I'm going to go shopping because it's my day off. Or on Sabbath is when I'm going to and I'm I'm That's the that's the American thing. Work hard and then go blow yes. your money. Yes. You know? And the, and one of the ways we can do this better for 
people of all classes is to not shop, not purchase, and not sell on our Sabbath. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I'm the same. I do the grocery shopping the day before, and I I have one cookbook that I'm trying to work my way through, and I do a recipe every Sabbath. Really? Oh, that's yeah. such a great idea. Yeah, because I don't do it any other time of the week. I don't cook during the week. Assuming you enjoy cooking. It's a great I do, idea. I, I enjoy it once a week. Really? I mean, yeah. I enjoy And that's the beauty of being 37 and single is no one's like, feed me, right? <laughs> so until a man and children ask me to feed them, I will cook once a week. And so I just do that. But I don't go to restaurants or go to stores or order online or do any of that. I did not know that I was doing it to help the poor, but I did know I was doing it to observe Sabbath. But that it is an interesting challenge to walk up against to say Sabbath is it is for privileged people. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Sabbath command comes out of the Exodus and in the Deuteronomy version of the Ten Commandments, it's rooted in the reason why behind Sabbath is it's remember the Sabbath because we forget, you know, we're not machines, we're human beings, we forget that we need this. And then the end of that command, if you go read Deuteronomy, I think it's Deuteronomy 6, that version of the Ten Commandments, it's for you were slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out of there. Slaves don't get a Sabbath. Slaves are a commodity that are used for the good of the wealthy and the privileged. Um, rest is the byproduct of freedom and of provision and of peace. And so that's why this matters so much for us in Jesus and so much for um, our world, in particular the poor. And it is interesting to think about the globalization side because, like we were talking about, when our parents were young, everyone in every class got to rest on Sundays because nothing was open. Exactly. And we have taken that from families who are not privileged because there are things we want on Sundays. Exactly. Because somebody needs to, we don't even know who's back there making the food or, you know, doing it, whatever it is. Yeah. Right. Right. Man, that's brutal. That is really sad. But we can play our small part, you know? And um, obviously this is just one piece of the pie. Uh, We want to be in relationship and also serve and also give of our resources. But this is one way that I think we contribute to um, the rightening of the kind of socioeconomic divide in our country right now and definitely around the world. It is just like in our individual lives that small decisions will yield a larger result. The same is true. Even if you're not letting that person not work at the Mexican restaurant at all that day, your small contribution to them resting will multiply. Yeah. And, you know, as, as of course, not no one of us is going to change the world this way, but we do live in a capitalistic society. And at the end of the day, it's about the bottom line. And so our, this is one of the few areas where our um, consumption or lack of consumption actually does hold a little bit of power. So uh, one way to speak truth to power is just say to a, a fashion brand, I will not buy your clothing anymore because you're not honoring the workers that made it or the earth that grew it. And they want to make money. I don't care what their motivation is. I just want them to make clothing justly and environmentally, you know? So this is a way where you don't have a lot of power, you're one person, but you do have a modicum of it in a capitalistic society for better or for worse. And so man, to leverage it on behalf of the poor and um, on behalf of of the the environment, which is tied to the poor, um, really matters. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay, that kind of changes my my guts about it a little bit, John Mark. Well done. That's good. Okay, here's the last question I'm going to ask you about okay. it because you know I got to go here. Does your Enneagram number influence how you observe Sabbath? Does it matter? Oh, I feel like we need another podcast for this Right? One, you know? <laughs> I mean, you can take your time. I just am saying I'm not going to – I don't have 50 more questions for you. I want you well, to I talk am about an Enneagram, Enneagram 1, so that means I'm going to do it right. Yeah, that's right. right. And the first time, I'm yep, gonna I got you. I'm going to do it. Um, it's all about doing, and I'm going to get it perfect. You're seven, so you're just going to go out to brunch and uh-huh. eat and cook a new meal, new experiences, That's right? It. For the seven, not to, the threes can just, you know, rest for 10 minutes and just take a bunch of Instagram shots and post it all over <laughs> Instagram story. <laughs> Look at me, Sabbathine, how awesome I was before they go back to getting work done. That's and right. That's anybody. right. That's right. Or can be like, I, I'm, I'm not going to Sabbath. Everybody's Sabbathing. It's the new Everyone's thing. doing it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it different, and I'm not going to tell anyone. The fives can just read an in-depth book on Sabbath and think about what it would be like to Sabbath, you know. And- <laughs> fives live in Sabbath a little bit, don't they? I mean, they exit the world and go live over there and then return oh, to us. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm. you're not supposed to typecast people. I just broke all the rules. I'm Wait, you, can, you have to at least finish. You, I, If you're going to break the rules, break all of them. You still have to do sixes, eights, and nines. 
All right. So I guess six is <laughs> they'd be too scared to Sabbath. I don't know. Or they'd be like, okay, Sabbath is terrifying. How will I get it right? I'm just going to take on the mountain. It's the counterphobic six as mm-hmm. opposed to the phobic six. Well done. The eights, they'd be like, I don't know what an eight would say. Let's go protest, you know, injustice on the Sabbath. That's it. Eights are going to hang on the injustice or, side of it. Yeah, you know, you're right. you posers, why do you guys have to Sabbath? I don't need to do that. You know, right, nines. Right, right. Nines are just kind of always Sabbathing. <laughs> <laughs> and nines are just making sure everyone else's Sabbath is no, going all right. Yeah, they just want to check in and make sure that your Sabbath is going well. That's right. That's it's right. okay with Joe and how he does Sabbath. And yeah, it's okay right. if they do Sabbath differently, right? You know. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, you it. just tempted me. You're not supposed to do that. That's bad. <laughs> Enneagram. You're not supposed to... We didn't name anyone particularly. We just said, if you are a one, it may look like this. Yeah, But I do think, I mean, you made a great point earlier too, because whether you're an introverted dude with three kids or an extroverted single woman with no kids, Sabbath actually looks the same. It is still rest and worship. So no matter your Enneagram number, you may experience things differently, but you are still going after a practice of rest and worship for one day a week. Yes, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I do think Sabbath looks quite a bit different based on your gender and personality and stage of life. And I, I think probably, um, you know, Enneagram deals mostly with your root kind of motivation and shadow side. And um, I, I think Myers-Briggs might even be a better tool as far as kind of discovering how to Sabbath for your personality. And of course, obviously, the introvert extrovert thing is going to have a profound influence on how you Sabbath, what's life giving. So I'm so introverted. I don't do a lot with community on Sabbath just because I'm with people all week long as a pastor and I have family. And so I just crave time alone. Whereas for somebody else, especially if they're single, but um, an extrovert, I mean, that's they're going to need silence and solitude, but they're really going to want to spend most of that day with friends and going out to brunch and going to the park right. and getting coffee. And, you know, then that NS on the Myers-Briggs, if you're familiar with that, that's going to have a huge effect. You know, for me, I want to read books. Um, I'm thinking about a good buddy of mine who I work with on staff, who's an introvert, but is a high S of the Myers-Briggs on a higher end. So he wants to go fishing. You know, he doesn't want to get in his head and sit and read a book and take notes. He wants to sit out by the river and do something tactile with his hands. And so whatever whatever the analogy is, um, that I think is going to affect it more, you know, the introvert, extrovert, and then the NS, are you more of a thinker or a little bit more of a, a maybe doer isn't the right word because it's a day more to rest. But there are forms of rest that are doing something, whether that's knitting or chopping wood for a fire or going for a walk in the forest or the park or making a meal. You know what I mean? There are certain things that are going to be more life-giving. Whereas for me, I want to sit and think and process and pray and I'm kind of in my head, you know? So Enneagram number, I, I just think the Enneagram number will reveal to you the obstacles that your personality will have to okay, the Sabbath. Okay, there you go. That's good. Yeah. More than it will how to Sabbath well. That would sure. be my gut reaction. I've never brilliant. thought about that before. No, but, I think you're right. That's brilliant. That's exactly what it is. You know, so if you're a one, my challenge is going to be to not turning it into a list of rules and regulations and performance and feeling like I'm not Sabbathing good and am I doing it wrong? Am I doing it right? Or getting good at it and then being like, this person doesn't Sabbath. That's not really a Sabbath. Them slackers, they only take four out, you know, whatever. Um, For a two, it's going to be the obstacle of, you know, the fear of having to spend at least a little bit of time alone on the Sabbath and actually having to face your own needs and ask the own question, what do I actually need? Because I don't even know. I'm so in other people's world and there to help them and encourage them. I, I What would it look? Self-care is incredibly hard for it too. Um, because they're so tied up in caring for other people and their identities even tied up in what they do for other people. So to take a day to rest and worship and even focus on their own soul can feel incredibly hard um, because they're kind of the opposite of the narcissist. You know what I mean? They're almost codependent on the other end. Um, for the three, it's going to be, you know, um, Sabbath can be beautiful because they're not, a, it's an upstream discipline. It's basically a discipline of secrecy for a three. Like they're not performing. They're not getting accolades or applause. No, but they're not getting anything done. They're not moving forward in their career. They're not, you know what I mean? They're just resting and worshiping and alone or with community behind the scenes. And that's a very counter kind of discipline for a three. You know, for a four, it's going to 
be finding ways to find joy and not getting mired in emotions or finding ways to be disciplined. Discipline can be incredibly hard for all people, but especially for some fours. For five, it's going to be, you know, moving past just the idea of Sabbath to the actual practice of Sabbath, you know? And um, for a seven like you, it's going to be, you know, actually dealing with your pain, which is not fun and not distracting yourself, doing things that are fun and life giving and healing, but not being afraid to actually press into where it hurts and experience healing. You know, so I mean, on down the list, I think Enneagram offers us more of an awareness of why we wouldn't Sabbath or what our challenges in Sabbath are going to be and a path toward healing. But I do think that Sabbath is one of the paths toward healing and wholeness and the road kind of in Enneagram language, the road back to our true self, because it creates space for us to set aside all of our egos and all our ideals and the false selves that we wear. And whether we're alone or in community, actually take time to be with Jesus and to pray and to let all the facades and all the emotional programs for happiness um, pass away and do some of the deep soul work. So regardless of your personality, I think Sabbath is one of the most important spiritual disciplines to come back to your true self. Amen. That's it. Man, that's so good, John Mark. Thank you for going through all that with us. That just, I feel like after listening to this, I feel like the number one thing people can walk away with is there's so much freedom in Sabbath. Oh, yeah. Good. See, I hope that. I hope that. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. Really, I think that's it. Is it instead of like, please, Annie and John Mark, give us the list of exactly what it's supposed to look like. Here's like the one thing it's not supposed to be. Yeah. And then it can be anything else, (laughs) you know, like don't work. And that's it. Rest and worship, rest and worship, rest and worship. Such free, beautiful, and that not that so just the way of Jesus, you know? Mm. Clear mm-hmm. boundaries, but so much freedom inside those boundaries, yeah, you know? And, it, and they're yeah. freedom boundaries. They're not limits. Yeah, that's right. They're, they're guardrails and paths to life. Oh, friends, wasn't that so interesting? I literally have never thought about the idea that inviting the poor into sabbath i can be a part of that by how i shop or don't shop and how i don't spend or sell on my sabbath i think that's interesting and i really love the part where he said really one of the best practices if you can is treating your sunday as sabbath so there is community worship and there is some coming together of people with people during that day and then having the day to rest too i thought that was really really helpful it really helps me think about how i want to shape my week So thanks so much to John Mark Homer for coming on the show. I'm such a fan and so honored to be a friend. And definitely check out his books. There are more than I can remember off the top of my head to mention. He's so good. But I loved Loveology. Garden City is one that really shaped me as I came around this idea of work and rest. And and then his most recent one, God Has a Name. Make sure you grab those when you get a chance. And as we're kicking off a new year, if you want to pick up 100 Days to Brave and make that a rhythm part of your day where you can go in every day and spend a little bit of time every single day thinking about courage, you can get that at your local bookstores, at Target, Amazon, online, anywhere that you shop for books. And the music in the background is from my friend Dave Barnes. His new EP is out, and you should definitely grab it. You're going to love it. Hey, after this week and after last week, if you have any follow-up questions or any thoughts, anything you want to share about rhythms of journaling, the rhythm of Sabbath as we continue to think about that, I mean, it feels like... I wish we could all just sit down at a table and kind of talk about what this would look like in our real lives. So if you want to have that conversation, start it on social media. Use the hashtag that sounds fun podcast. And that way we can all kind of keep up and be in this conversation. If you need to find me, I'm embarrassingly easy to find Annie F downs everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places. And I would love to keep talking to you about what these rhythms look like in your life and in my life and in the lives of the people around us and how it can be a community thing, not just a personal thing. So if you get a chance to rate and review the show, that would be awesome. Make sure you're subscribed so that you don't miss anything. It really helps the more that our friends tell people in the reviews like, yeah, this is a fun place to hang out. That really helps make sure that we get in front of eyes of people who may not know that they are welcome here and know that they're the friend we're missing at our party. So y'all have a great day. I hope you enjoyed this and make sure you say thanks to John Mark on the internet as well. He is John Mark Comer. Thank him for his wisdom and his time. We're super, super grateful. So 
As always, I hope you go out there and do something fun today. And I hope you get to add some Sabbath to your week, either an hour or half a day, maybe a full day, whatever it looks like to start inviting that practice into your life. I hope you will do it. Y'all have a great day and we will see you next week.